And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. I mean, that finish was fucking brilliant. Will it be one more chance? It might be, because here's Cavani. Ronaldo's waiting in the middle, not many others. Fernandez. Fred. Ronaldo. Down towards Lingard. Ah! Ronaldo! Yes, this is Talk of the Devils, the podcast dedicated to Manchester United from The Athletic. We are going to reflect on an absolutely crazy night at Old Trafford. Don't worry, we're not going to pop the bubble straight away. We're going to revel in the glory of Ronaldo's late winner, but we also need to assess exactly what went on in the previous 90 minutes. And we'll also take a look ahead to Everton at the weekend with a sense of buzz, but also a look at what Benitez has done to that lot as well. Right, okay. Laurie Whitwell from The Athletic. If you had to describe last night and that 95th minute winner in one word, what would it be? Bedlam. Bedlam. Andy Mitten, also of The Athletic and United We Stand Editor. If you had to describe last night's 95th minute goal in one word, what would it be? Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Andy can't do anything with one word. That is amazing. No, brilliant's a word, isn't it? Mate, that was more than worth it. Yeah, right. Wow, where do we start? At the end, I suppose. That's one of the best moments at Manchester United in years, Andy, isn't it? It was fantastic. And we're going to go deeper onto this, as as we should do. Uh, of course. Villarreal, the best team I've seen at Old Trafford, I think, since PSG. I think we're very, very unlucky not to get a draw, let alone to be defeated. But what a moment. Let's focus on that for a second. The atmosphere, which was good all night. The fact it happened in front of the Stratford end. The three points, which United needed more than anything. I said that the other day. It's about the three points. Everything else is secondary to that. People will forget how poor Manchester United were in the first half. That it was Ronaldo, uh, that the substitutes had such an influence. It was just brilliant. And the the ground was rocking for a long time after. People were still stood in the Stratford end 30, 40 minutes after singing Viva Ronaldo. And it just felt like a great European night. We've not been having them. There's been COVID. So to have everyone back yeah. in... And for the atmosphere to be so We've really good. been having him anyway, Andy, have we? No, we haven't. Fair. And you know, Europa League nights are not Champions League nights. And group games are not semi-finals, no. you know, let's be honest. But it was a big game. And it was bouncing. And it felt like it really mattered. And we had a top-quality opponent come to Old Trafford, dictate the game, boss the game. They were very unlucky not to go ahead. And yet Manchester United, somehow, out of all that, beat Villarreal. I spoke to Capoue after the game and he just eyeballed me and went you got your revenge 
Well, it's not me, mate. I'm a journalist. I'm just asking you questions. <laughs> but we had spoken in Gdansk when he was man of the match. And he was fantastic. They had so many players. If you're a neutral watching that, you can pick out so many positives from Villarreal. But, you know, I've never had a new support yeah. and neither of the lads on here. So we're not entirely neutral. So my only regret was that I wasn't in the middle of the Stratford end or K stand. I was near. I was right. I was right next to instead the Villarreal bench, and they were absolutely floored. I often feel like that when I'm at the games as well, and you get a moment like that. I remember sitting on my hands when United came back from two down at the Etihad to spoil City's title party. That's the closest I think I've ever been to celebrating a goal at work. That was absolutely brilliant. Anyway, let's just focus on last night and bask in that moment just for a little bit longer before we start picking holes in the rest of the ninety minutes. Um, my dad was actually singing Viva Ronaldo, he said, on the tram all the way home. I can't remember the last time my dad sang on the tram. If he's ever sang on the tram, he's 70 years old. But it was the sort of moment that <laughs> that sort of led to that. Um, is this what it was all about, Laurie? Is this why we were all excited that Ronaldo was back for a moment like that? It's fantasy, isn't it, really? I mean, if you said in the summer Ronaldo would score a 95th minute winner at Old Trafford in front of the Stretford end in the Champions League, you know, you'd be saying you're mad. And the reality was every bit of as mad as it sounds, really, um, because for long periods, United didn't look very good. But with him on the pitch, you've always got that potential, haven't you? Edison Cavani came on and, and changed the game with his pressing, added a bit of chaos to the occasion. He's still chasing Jesse... pigeons this morning, Cavani, I think. <laughs> I think I've seen him running around our neck of the woods down here in Cheshire, <laughs> full sprint ahead. And, and, and credit to Jesse Lingard. I mean, I didn't appreciate it at the time, but that touch uh, and that duck out the way was actually you know he knew what he was doing it wasn't a fluke it wasn't something that had a random ricochet and yeah the way Ronaldo finished it it's, it's not an easy finish he's still got to slot it past Ruley who's a good goalkeeper as Andy knows spoken to him the other week yeah it was just a, a crazy crazy moment where Old Trafford was still full you had limbs flying everywhere and people falling over each other songs up into the air and people stayed long afterwards to kind of bask in it because I think people appreciated that it was a a special moment. I know it's a group stage game against Villarreal, who everyone said, you know, United should really beat, although they've been <laughs> obdurate opponents every single time United have faced them. That's the first ever um, win against Villarreal. Exactly. You can't overlook that, you know, and this goes back to, you know, times when United were the dominant team in Europe, you know, one, one of the dominant teams. So I don't think we can overlook how good Villarreal are as a team, you know, clearly very well coached by Unai Emery. They had a real structure about the way they attacked United. It was clinical at times. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think they'll do OK in the Champions League. I can, I, I can see them getting out of the group and going further than that. So, you know, give the opposition credit at times. Admittedly, we'll get onto the, the faults in United's um, playing in their system but at the same time sometimes you just have to go sod it you know tactics out the window it's about desire and character and Ronaldo has got that in abundance and that's why he stayed on the pitch even though he probably wasn't having the best game Should we do it then or what? Or should we want to carry on basking in this glory a little longer Andy? What do you think? Should we start picking holes in it? We can do both you're allowed to have two opinions and I heard last night just before half time a fan near me so clearly we're doing a shot of the bench just shout, this is absolutely shite, Solskjaer, shite. And he was right. But you can also be happy that the team have won. I stayed in Manchester City Centre last night. I was awoken three or four times by people singing Viva Ronaldo. The last time was at 4.15 in the morning. So that's the impact that it has. Like um, your dad, I got the tram back into the ground and everyone was buzzing. And sometimes football does that. Sometimes Manchester United and other teams win matches that maybe they don't always deserve. And that's one of the reasons that we, we love football. 
and he's given us a lift and one of the things I said to Solskjaer after the game is can this be a turning point and he said of course we hope so but there's a lot of United fans need convincing and I suppose that's where this conversation's going to go and with good reason because Villarreal as Laurie said really well drilled really well organised very good manager of Unai Emery I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the quarterfinals I wouldn't be stunned to see him in the semi-finals I really wouldn't uh, but Manchester United should be beating them. Manchester United's budget is like five or six times more than, than Villarreal's. They were the ones who looked a team rather than Manchester United. And we've touched on it in a recent podcasts. There's a feeling, I feel, that United relying on the individual moments of brilliance uh, and getting away with it. There were changes last night. Mick Phelan tends to have a much more uh, bigger role in the dugout for European games. He's been there, he's done that. He's, I think he's 59 years old. And I don't know whether, what influence he had down there. Oli looked a bit shocked to me walking in at half-time. He really did. But after the game, a win is like the, the balm that smooths everything. Other people might say it, it's the paper which goes over the cracks. And I think both of those points are legitimate ones. Before we go fully into it, I'm just going to do one more question, if that's all right. Because I feel a bit sorry for him in a way. Alex Tellez. Laurie. What a volley. Tellez, it's a great hit and it's a great goal. That's what Manchester United needed. What a moment for him. The Brazilian who's coming to the side tonight has delivered. And how? Unbelievable. I didn't even know he had that in his locker. I thought you were going to say his hair then. Um, <laughs> no, not his hair. It's, 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 it's got a quiff that's even bigger than mine. Um, <laughs> I actually said, uh, when when Bruno was uh, chipping that free kick to him, I said, what? As in like, why is that what you've gone for? You've got you know players in the box, up from the back, Ronaldo in the air, and you've gone for Alex Tellers outside the box, 20 yards out. Okay, I was wrong. We were right <laughs> behind it in the press box. And as soon as he hit it, you're like, okay, that is in. Brilliant, brilliant goal. At a time when United were obviously, it was teetering, wasn't it? You know, they were 1 0 down. You know, they've been, luckily, I think they've been behind only for a little bit, you know, seven minutes. So the atmosphere hadn't built to a point of real tension, real anxiety. It was an important goal, so it was wasn't it? Important moment. Really important, crucial. Um, I mean, you know, we've, you know, United have got a new set piece coach, you know, at Ramsey. I'd be intrigued to know sort of his involvement in that or whether it was just a, a piece of inspiration from Bruno and, and Tellis. Obviously, they had a little chat beforehand, didn't they, before he went off and went to the edge of the box. Um, Reminded me of the Anthony Martial goal against Man City, where Bruno sort of just chips it over the wall, kind of unexpected, and, and that element of surprise, you know, really works. I don't think anyone was thinking that he was going to chip it to to Telles, and, and that clearly allowed him to have a bit of space to, to get his foot properly behind it. I think he struggled sort of defensively, not unlike the other fullback on the other stop side. Stop it! Stop um, it! Just talk about the goal for the moment. <laughs> fine, fine, don't fine. pop the bubble just um, yet. But I mean, incredible technique, and to be fair to him, put in a couple of good corners as well, Telles. You know, we've seen you know way at PSG. Um, I called him Mr. Whippy for the fact of him putting the ball in with such you know bend and, and pace and precision and, and that was every bit of it you know the, the kind of the laces through the boots the technique was was remarkable uh, and credit to him I even forgave him for celebrating normally I get angry when players equalise and don't go and get the ball and immediately run back to <laughs> yeah. the centre circle to go for the winner <laughs> there was a but little was bit a of that I wasn't goal. there after after a moment Bruno started yeah. you know come on then yeah. off you come <laughs> as if that really means much in the scheme of the game you know like you know those yeah. valuable few seconds I don't know yeah, right. Okay, let's do it then. Um, it wasn't actually very good, Andy, was it, to be honest? Um, it didn't feel like the team selection worked. It didn't feel like the tactics worked. It felt like United, after the first sort of 
10, 15 minutes of really going for it and pressing and winning the ball back high and trying to make things happen. Lost the way. What, how did you read it? I think United started very well and you tend to get that in a game where everyone's up for it. There'd been a lot of hype before the game, talk of it being a must-win match, but uh, gradually Villarreal took control. I was on the side of the pitch where Dan Juma was and he was absolutely shredding uh, Dalot. And I'm sort of, I knew about um, Dan Juma, but I'm just was doing some detail into him, thinking, when did he move from Bournemouth? He actually cost <laughs> yeah. quite a lot of money. Why didn't he barely know? even played for Bournemouth until they're in the Championship as well? Why didn't I know he's this good? I've been writing loads about Villarreal. What on earth's going on here? And then you know, Capoue, Parejo, Danny Parejo was really experienced. Raúl Albiol is a captain. I knew all about um, Geronimo Rui, the, the, the goalkeeper. Paco Alcacer, very renowned forward. People forget he was at Barcelona for three years. He was actually having a shocking game. If he would have been on form, Villarreal would have been 2-0 uh, yeah. up. So it was really worrying. And I was just thinking, all right, Man United are going behind again and again and again. And I'm thinking, four defeats in five games, the mood's going to slump even more. I thought they were far more dominant um, in the midfield and it was a worry and you could see Bruno getting really frustrated you could see um, players all over the shop getting caught out making mistakes Lindelof even Raphael Varane I think we should credit David De Gea who was brilliant he was absolutely brilliant again in front of uh, the Stretford end um, Sancho did some some alright bits but was largely peripheral Ronaldo made the headlines but I don't think he had a huge impact on the game it was just really substandard stuff but by a, a better organised, better coached team. And again, the neutral watching it, I'm thinking this is really high-level football. This is fantastic that they are going away and playing with the confidence that, 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 that they've got. I'd said on Monday that their way of playing will suit Manchester United because they'll come out and attack. And then I saw loads of interviews where people are saying they're just going to defend deep. And I thought, well, where's, where does the truth lie here? What's going what's gonna, to what's gonna happen? And they were just countering. They were pressing like a lot of teams do at Old Trafford. And their, their counters were absolutely devastating. And I'm sorry, but United's midfield looked, looked completely outclassed. Um, the, there, was, there was discontent among the supporters. It looked vacant at times, the midfield, yeah. in fairness. It didn't even feel like there was a midfield to bypass at times. I was thinking... This team does not deserve the atmosphere that's been created for them. And Oli was getting a lot of support as well. And there were individual shouts against him, but the fans were were singing um, his name. Now, in fairness, that was a makeshift defence. There wasn't a lot of minutes in Manchester United's defence. Villarreal had a very strong team and bench. Just looking at some of the names on Villarreal's bench and... They're a strong, very well-organised football team and football club, and you can see that. And it changed in the second half. Um, I thought they were better in terms of the possession that, that they had. They deserved the goal. The goal was a bit scrappy, wasn't it, when it went in, in front of uh, K-Stand scoreboard end. And then you're like, oh, no, trailing one early, second Champions League defeat. I just foresaw this slump come in. But... What people might not understand is Villarreal are contractually obliged to draw every game they play. So they were really uncomfortable in a losing position. 
let's talk about the team selection, Laurie, because I, I sort of text you saying, wow, he's definitely going for it here, Solskjaer, um, because there was barely any defenders, was there? There was only actually really the two centre-halves so you could classify as defensive players in that eleven. Did it work or was it a bit too brave considering three of the four defenders had had barely played this season? I think needs must, you know, clearly you've got Wan-Bissaka suspended for two games, which beggars belief. Um, you've got Luke Shaw injured, Harry Maguire injured. I mean, he turned up for the youth uh, game that I was at at Lee early in the day at one o'clock where United got um, absolutely walloped uh, 4-0 at half time. It was ended up 4-1. So, you know, Harry Maguire's doing his duties. Won the second Won half. Won the second half. Important. Very important. Um, I mean, to be fair, I think that Villarreal team had a few players in that play in the B League, uh, you know, so I don't know, men's football, more of a team. United were a bit thrown together under 18s, under 23s. Anyway, Harry Maguire was there. He, he was walking, you know, so I don't know. We'll see how long he's out for. But clearly, Solskjaer had to shuffle this pack and I think that was the obvious selection at back four. You could maybe have put Eric Bailly in a centre-back and put Lindelof at right back, but that might have looked a bit cautious against a team like Villarreal and... Eric Bailly is erratic. You can't necessarily say what kind of game he's going to produce for you. So I think Solskjaer kind of, you know, understandably went with with that four. Um, And then midfield, you know, he's often derided for going with Fred and McTominay. I think last night showed why he does that because then you've got two midfielders there that do cover the ground and and, and do kind of, you know, have a presence uh, in midfield. And that's not... Do you think a lot of people appreciated Fred a bit more watching that 90 minutes? Yeah, possibly, yeah. Um, I mean, clearly he's not... uh, He he misplaces passes and he he dives in at times when you, you think he can just hold your position. But... Clearly, he, he brings something to that team. And listen, he came on at left back and, and produced a cross that ended up scoring the goal. I think, was it was it Club Bruges last season or the season before where he came on at left back as well? So, you know, two, two games at left back, two wins for Fred. I think in midfield, clearly you can see, you know, that's where, the, you know, they do their best work. And it's it's been apparent, you know, the times that they've looked susceptible has been really when it's been, you know, not them, them two together, susceptible to the transitions, I mean. Um, and yeah, as you say, the midfield looked vacant at times last uh, last night um, McTominay they are I believe trying to get into that mode of can he be that one sitter so that you can then have Pogba and Bruno in the same team but clearly last night showed that that is a very much a work in progress um, in terms of positional play in terms of um, you know just you know his passing range I suppose his presence I'm not sure he's 100% fit right now so I wonder if that's a, a factor in, in his performances um, but that being said you know it, it did look awkward at times I mean I sort of go back to the start though. United started brilliantly. You know, first three minutes. I know it was only three minutes, but from kickoff, it was full of intensity. Nice kickoff routine where Ronaldo's putting it out to Greenwood, so they clearly worked on that. Um, and you're thinking, wow, okay, Old Trafford's bouncing, they're all at it. And then, you know, Villarreal took their time, rode the storm, and then were the better team, obviously. But then United finished strongly as well. So I think you've got to give Solskjaer some credit for having his team start like that and finish like that. If they're still going like that in the 95th minute, that's not a that's not by chance. That's that, that's something either psychologically or or physically that they're able to do up until and, and Villarreal tired. You could see that even though Emery had made he'd made five subs by seventy minutes, he clearly knew what he was going to do to refresh the team, like he did in Gdansk. He made all his subs, and, and it was a you know half his team were, were fresh. United were actually finishing the stronger team, and, and Solskjaer's substitutions, each one of them paid dividends in terms of, you know, Lingard coming on, Cavani coming on, Fred coming on, Matic coming on. You know, he played a pass straight away to Cavani that, that sort of seemed to unsettle them. Um, and, and it did surprise me that Villarreal, I mean, they gave the possession away in the sort of final minute, didn't they, for that goal 
United scored, they did have, I thought, you know, 94 minutes, I thought, oh, they'll just eat up the clock here. And actually they, they kind of, you know, I don't know exactly what happened, but they, they you know, United were able to intercept and, and go on the front foot again. So I do think you have to give Solskjaer credit for his substitutions, changing the game, um, albeit he's, he's obviously tried something against Villarreal by putting McTominay in there with Pogba and kind of giving Pogba licence to, to get forward. Diogo Dallo come into midfield when in possession of the ball. I think it made United narrow at times and he's clearly not as good a player on the ball as, as Yao Cancelo, which is who we've seen do that so well for Man City. Um, but I think he, he was trying something against a team that he's had difficulties with breaking down previously. So I, I, I can see where he was coming from if it didn't actually work in practice. It's a good point you mentioned in the subs, Laurie. It's, I think it's a really important point, this, because I, I, and I asked Ollie after the game about it and he gave like a 30-second answer, which... I think he could have spoke for 10 minutes on, on those substitutions. But what I was told was that Villarreal were going for the something called the tactical periodization approach. And if you watch the three substitutes warming up intensely at match pace from, from about the 50th minute. And what also happened, I think Cavani went to warm up in the wrong area. And Villarreal's bench went absolutely mental because he was in the wrong area, which is fair enough. And Edinson was just like, in front of the Stretford end. I don't even think he realises that the fans are singing about him because it's sung in such a strong Manchester accent. I was hoping he'd pick out the word Uruguay, but I don't think he does. We need to get this message to him. Anyway, <laughs> Villarreal did this in Gdansk and Oli didn't react to it. And last night, he did react to it. So he let them go out there, put this massive injection of energy into the Villarreal team. They used up all the changes, didn't they? And what he did, he counteracted and he brought his substitutes on. And if you're going to question Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's tactics, which people do, and sometimes with good reason, you've also got to uh, praise him because his substitutes nulled a very intelligent set of changes from Unai Emery. And we spoke about the impact that the substitutes made and the running that um, Cavani did. Even Fred, he played his part in the goal and Lingard as well. So he definitely deserves... Uh, some credit for those changes. I only wish you would have explained it to me at more length, but a quick two-minute television interview post-match doesn't really lend itself to that. I'd love to have a coffee with him for half an hour where he goes into real detail. And it's quite difficult for him to do publicly, isn't it? Because, you know, he can't go... He can't, I think he, he, he would do some down. credit, though, Andy, in a way. Yeah, it, it, I think he would do some do. credit. I think it's one one area that he really gets yeah, hammered on. And we, we've done it ourselves but, on the but, podcast, but, to be fair. We've questioned his changes. We have, but I mean, what more can you say about Delart? To be fair to Delart, he got rinsed, but he gave it his every last drop. He really did. Alex Telles did. So then you ask, well, why did he play at Manchester United? Well, Oli didn't bring him in. And Oli wanted another right back in. And um, Delart wouldn't have started the game if it wasn't for wan missing. So there's always mitigating circumstances uh, as well, but you're right. Getting him to talk about tactics would be, would be, would be really interesting. Did did Oli use the term tact? What was it? Tactical period? Blah, blah. No, he didn't. I, I'm just um, no, he didn't. I'm just. I was I'm say. just giving you inside information. You just know it. your stuff, don't you, Andy? I don't know anything like the level of the. <laughs> what, I'm, I, what was the term? My again? job is to pass on reliable and insightful information. Now I don't have a UEFA B, let alone an A, let alone a pro license. But I speak to people who know far more than I do, and it's. Uh, I'm just getting the dictionary out, Andy. Go on, say what was it again? I'm just looking it up. Tactical periodization. He says not. It's actually a he says book, he mind. says not looking at a screen. <laughs> of, it's an interesting point, though, isn't from. it? Because. You, 
you very rarely hear Solskjaer speak in those sort of terms. Other managers speak like that all the time. Maybe Oli purposely doesn't talk about yeah. that, I don't know, but it is an area, Laurie, that we don't often hear from Solskjaer in his press conferences, that level of detail. I think generally managers are a little bit reluctant to go into such detail because... You know, sometimes they just don't they don't want to. They, they, you know, they can't. They don't want to. They don't want to reveal too much, and, and they, they can't really be bothered to go into such. You know, it's a press conference. It's twenty minutes. It's you know, you kind of you're talking generally about stuff rather than specifics. Um, and also, I, I, I feel like you know, he perhaps doesn't feel like he has to. You know, he's, he knows what they're doing in house, and True. so therefore, his 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 influence is. You can't ignore. You know the kind of mentality of players, character, and what have you. Clearly, tactics are a huge part, but I think Oli likes to press home the the, the the kind of approach generally that players need for a game, and that was something that was clearly lacking when he took over. So that's what he's you know the culture of the club is, is something that he's changed. But he does have a tactical eye. He does know what he's doing when it comes to setting a team out, and I do think it is a stick that he's beaten with. And I would be intrigued. You know, I, I think there is a space for him to kind of open out a little bit more on that kind of stuff. Um, Tactical periodization, um, by the way, and I only know this because I did an interview with Tony Strudwick. You're going to do it to me now. I'm going to try, and, I'm going to try, and I'm probably going to get hammered by people who say I'm feel talking like absolute death, rubbish. But it was actually something that Jose Mourinho properly got behind in terms of basically training players as you would play a match. So it's it's so that's what Unai Emery was doing on the touchline with his players, you know, warming them up as if they were in the game and, and kind of having their fitness levels at that. You know, everything's with a ball. Um, you know, it's all very much match related, so that's the kind of general principle. But it can, it, there is a little bit of butting heads when it comes to data analysis. I think with it, um, so for example, Jose Mourinho would often sort of smell how his players were, were doing fitness wise. You know, not literally, not not sort of get under their armpits, but um, he would sort of have an instinct for whether he reckoned they were fit enough or not, and that would sometimes uh, be at odds with what the sports science guys were saying. So it's an interesting area, and hopefully, I'm right and people aren't going to at me and tell me I'm talking rubbish no, I, think, I think you're right I, I, think, I think it's interesting as well and, and I can see you now becoming a, a Premier League manager my worry is not about your <laughs> tactical knowledge it's about walking into a dressing room with that quiff and what the other players would think of you when they see you but seriously I think it's interesting because you've spoke to people who've told you that and that's absolutely legitimate as a journalist to, to do that and I've got the phrases and you've just explained it to me so I'll get some more rock hard phrases next week and you can uh, you can explain them after we've drawn one all against Everton. <laughs> right, before we move on then, I want to talk about uh, a little bit about an article that James Horncastle has done. It's a fascinating interview with Leonardo Bonucci that's on The Athletic at the minute. He absolutely buries Declan Rice. It's very interesting to see what he says about him uh, in relation to the, the final of the Euros and, and how Rice said that I think England had 10 times more motivation than Italy and Bonucci found that quite humorous. But also there's some bits in there actually about Cristiano Ronaldo and it's a really, really, really strange take for me. I, I was really shocked when I read this, Andy. I don't know about you, but he was sort of saying that Ronaldo's influence was massive on the team. I expect that, fine. But he sort of said that they came to the point where they just expected him to win the game on his own. And it wasn't like the team really needed to do what they'd done in the past because they all felt like Ronaldo was just going to go and wave his magic wand and win the match. I don't think we've got to that point at United, have we? But it, but it's a bit of a narrative that we've never really heard before. It's always that Ronaldo just comes in and 
brings everyone up a level. Well, he's actually saying they went down a level in a way. I think it's really interesting. Benucci's ahead and he's worth listening to. Um, and Chilenia as well, they're both brilliant. We definitely heard it at Barcelona with it was called Messi Dependencia, the dependence on one player to the point that it's actually detrimental. Um, I find Juventus uh, quite interesting and I, I spoke to Patrice Evra a lot about Juventus and how they used uh, Paul Pogba. And there were times that uh, Benucci felt that as Pogba was maturing into uh, a better player and the other Juventus players felt this, that he had to be indulged. Yes, he was going to give the ball away. Yes, he was going to cost them, but he could also equally provide those match-winning moments. I think Ronaldo's uh, time in Turin was with a general slight decline, which has now been exacerbated since he's left in a team which was so, so dominant. that It was an ageing team as well, but Juventus was a huge success story for, for close on, on a decade. I don't know the internal politics of what he was like inside the dressing room, but I do know a long time ago he was angling to get out of Juventus, and I think the club were happy for him to, mainly for financial reasons, because his statistics were very good. Ronaldo there... I don't know. I think more interesting stuff will come out in five or ten years, which which tally with, with, with what you've said. Very interesting. Have a look at that on The Athletic, certainly. OK, we need to preview Everton. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right, well, we've had a few results this season, Laurie, haven't we, that have been really, really exciting that filled us with enthusiasm for the next game we felt like we're just going to bounce into the next match I'm thinking the 5-1 win against Leeds I'm thinking the 4-1 against Newcastle even the late drama at the London Stadium against West Ham and every single time the bubble's been popped it's not going to be popped this time against Everton is it Rafa Benitez is Everton is it (laughs) you can see it it? it again I don't know (laughs) I don't know. I mean, they, they they just look really functional, don't they? I mean, they, you know, they've spent about, what is it, one and a half million in the summer. They've bought a load of players that you think are kind of past it or kind of flat to deceive in Andros Townsend and Solomon Rondon and, and, and Damari Gray. They've obviously got injuries to key players. Andros Townsend's been brilliant. I, I did the Everton-Burnley game mm. a few weeks ago. Uh, and, and to be honest, Burnley outplayed Everton mm. for long periods and then were just blown away by sort of three goals in no time in the second half. But but Andros, I interviewed Andros Townsend afterwards, and he was 
he just spoke so well. He just sort of said, I can't believe I'm here. And the fact that I'm here, I'm going to give this absolutely everything I've got. And you can see that in the way he's playing. I mean, the... They're not glamorous names by any stretch, are they? But they seem to have made a difference to that team. Often we've ever and we've 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 looked at them and thought, oh, they've got really good talent there. But actually, as a team, they don't function that well. You know, Hamas Rodriguez, you sort of look at, and, and obviously he's now departed as a perhaps a luxury player that they had. Um, whereas clearly Benitez has, will demand players that that fit into his structure and, and do what he asks of them. Um, so yeah, they could make it difficult for United. Um, I'm intrigued to see what lineup Solskjaer goes with. I wonder. Does Edinson Cavani start the game? You know, the way that he came off the bench against Villarreal. Who for? Well, this is the question. You know, do you then, Cristiano Ronaldo, does he start on the bench after playing so many games in such quick succession? Are you going to tell him? Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could. That's his job. Do you think he will? It'd be weird. I think Ronaldo will want to play and I think that basically will will decide the call. I mean, he did come out onto the left wing both times that Cavani's come on, you know, last 10 minutes against Villa and and obviously Villarreal. It's not probably is is it's not his best position, is it now? Because it, he can't sort of dribble past players and, and, and make those runs up and down the wing. He can do it in bursts, but not on a consistent basis. So I suppose if Cavani is to start... <sighs> Yeah, you would probably put Ronaldo on the bench. But we'll see. It's just difficult to to not see how he approached that game and think, right, put him in the next game. I mean, maybe you just look at it and go, okay, he's, he's very effective off the bench and, and what a player to have to come on late in the game to really change matters. So maybe that's how he'll judge it. Clearly, the, the bat line again will have a, a couple of different faces in. Wambasak will be back. So, you, you know, you've got a bit more defensive solidity there. Is Luke Shaw going to be all right for it as well? There was some suggestion that he could be okay. Yeah, it's touch and go. I think they'll they'd really want him to be. I don't know if Andy knows anymore, but um, oftentimes Luke Shaw's he, he, I think he's a little bit similar to Cavani in that he needs a couple of days really good training to to be fit to play basically. Whereas someone like Scott McTominay can kind of be in bed for two days and he's a bit of a robot and he can come out and go on the pitch and, and play ninety minutes. So. Yeah, it, it, we'll know, I suppose, in the next 48 hours whether um, Shaw's you know, fit to, to start. But I think he's a real key player for United. I know Teller scored a brilliant goal, but the way that Shaw carries the ball, particularly into midfield, is, is really valuable. It's an intriguing game. With Shaw, Laurie's totally right what he says. Um, he needs to be training, he needs to be playing. Wayne Rooney was like that as well. And as for the, the, the forwards, such a wonderful choice um, for Oli to, to choose against a very well-organised Everton team. Love him or love him, Benitez has got something as a manager. What he did at Valencia, even in, in moments at Newcastle United, I think he managed in the Northwest before at a club and he might have won something um, quite close to Everton. But he, he, Edit that he's, bit he's, out. he's got something. He, he absolutely has got something. And look at his results. You know, he's look at the look at his recruitment. He, he he rubs a lot of people up the wrong way, but I think he'll do a good job there. And Everton wasted a lot of money last year under Ancelotti, and they started the season well and faded away. I think it's going to be a very tough game. Uh, I, 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 I was going to say at Goodison then, but it's at Old Trafford. I better not go to Goodison because I'm at the match. You mentioned rubbing people up the wrong way. I've just remembered, obviously, Ronaldo at Real Madrid. You know, Benitez gave him a disc of how to score goals, and you know, Ronaldo allegedly sent him a, a DVD or whatever it was back of him scoring a load of goals and saying, you know, have a look at this, Rafa. So I, I do thinking about it. He'll want to start that game 100, percent and he'll want to score and prove a point. I interviewed Rafa a few years ago for that thing that 
uh, it was the anniversary of the thing that Andy just mentioned that's going to get edited out. Um, and it was a <laughs> stage show in Liverpool or something like that where they were sort of reenacting uh, the special night that they'd had. I, I don't really remember the details, probably for the best. Um, but we met in a hotel. Uh, Benitez gave a really long interview about, uh, sorry, a really short interview about this, but he was sort of showing his support. He was a manager in 2005 and this was 10 years on. And after he finished, he asked me who I supported just randomly. I don't have really ever been asked that after an interview at that point. I told him. And then he spent ages afterwards talking about the tactics that United had had in certain matches and the ideas that he he had about um, the European Cup finals um, that they'd lost, especially the 2011 one. He, he had the salt and pepper shakers out and talking through all the different factors of that game and where he felt Barcelona had won the match and things like that. I mean, it, unfortunately, it wasn't recorded, but it was far more interviewing than far more interesting than the interview and. Speaking to people at Everton as well now, Carlo Ancelotti is a great manager. Don't take this the wrong way at all. He's done fantastic things, but he's a very different manager to Benitez. There was a lot that the players had to work out for themselves in the Everton team last year, and there's absolutely nothing that they have to work out for themselves this time around. His level of detail has been incredible. It's blown some of the players away to the point where they, they can't believe how much they, he knows about them. Um, that's what he's like, Rafa, yeah, isn't it? The job he did at Tenerife was incredible, and that that got him the, the Valencia job. I know Newcastle United fans who really like him, not just because of his tactical acumen, but he engaged with fans. Basically, he got a few of them down at the training ground and said, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. And then they funneled that information back out and they really, really liked Rafa Benitez um, at, at Newcastle, even more than they love Steve Bruce, who's having an absolutely horrendous time there. So I thought Everton, when they came to Old Trafford pre-season, were really poor and... Less of what I thought. I know Manchester United thought that they were really, really poor. But that was pre-season. Uh, we can't read too much into that. And again, if Manchester United do not win, then the mood's going to stay pretty much uh, where it is. Uh, Ronaldo's winner gives, gives us some respite, but dropping more points at home in the league um, will, will be a worry. Do you not think, Laurie? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the one, I mean, as Ian said, you know, needs to be momentum, needs to kind of build and build and, and kind of a consistent run. Um, you know, there's still only one point off top, uh, you know, after the doom and gloom of Aston Villa. So there's scope, but it, it can't be another result like that or a performance like that. It'll just suck the mood out of the place. Yeah. You know, as well, I think what we should do we should should end this podcast how we started because there was so much excitement after that result last night. A lot of people will be tuning into this podcast with a massive smile on the face, and we've probably took it away from them a little bit. So let's let's restore it. Andy, how much excitement is there around Manchester for this game now? You you stayed in the city centre last night. You were at the game last night. You go into the Everton match. Everyone wants a ticket again for this. Everyone wants to see United play. Tickets have been really hard since Ronaldo came back. It's a hot ticket and, you know, not every club sells out their home Champions League group games, do they? As Ed Woodward pointed out, probably wanting to get fans on side. I think the, the atmosphere is deflated a little bit um, because Manchester United have not been winning every match. But that was brilliant. The ending was brilliant on Wednesday. Uh, people will arrive at Old Trafford with loads of enthusiasm before the game on Saturday. They'll buy their copy of United We Stand and they'll hope for more of the same. 
I certainly hope for more of the same, and I think everyone listening to this podcast uh, does. But we know those doubts will never be far from the surface, and and the doubts are, are, are more on the manager at the moment than, than on any player. But I think a couple of those players, if they're selected, talking people like Jade and Sancho, they need to raise the levels as well because they were brought to be stars and it's not quite happened yet. Yeah, do you think the start, Laurie, and some of the last-minute winners and all that sort of side, again, Ronaldo being back, everything that goes into it, do you think that sucked more people in this year? Do you feel like there's more eyes on United again? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's you know you, you look at the stadium and the broadcasters, they were, you know, last night they were sort of dotted along the touchline all the way down to the Villarreal end and it was you know you could see they everyone wanted a piece of it I I, I look at the sort of last minute winners and the kind of these big occasions some, some people call it hero ball and like you know well where's the tactics where's the kind of consistency sometimes football is just about enjoyment and sitting back and going wow anything can happen it's unpredictable anything you know it's last minute you know I know Ole Gunnar Solskjaer probably gets stick for, for referring back to 99 a lot but it was such a pivotal moment in United's history that you can't ignore the fact that you know they do come from behind and do score late winners and you know, that was a case in point with Ronaldo you know the latest winner by Manchester United player in a European game ever you know just surpassing Solskjaer so, is that right I didn't know that that's what my dad texted was. That's what my dad texted me last night. I probably should have checked right. it before repeating it on a podcast, but I think I think it's legit. <laughs> you know, it's got to be on it. Um, it'll certainly your be. Dad texts you, mate. Don't question it. Yeah, he's usually quite on the ball with these kind of things. I know your dad was texting you from the tram. My dad was texting me from home, sort of. But equally, you know, they were both singing <laughs> Viva Ronaldo. So, and I think you, I, I don't think you can get away from that. Just enjoy football sometimes. You know, let's not go too deep into it. Let's not like overanalyze things. Just enjoy it, and for sure. Under Solskjaer, United have had more of those moments than under any manager since Ferguson, you know, massively so. So I, you know, I I get excited going to Old Trafford because you never know what's going to happen. Amen, Laurie. You're totally right. And I love it that your dads are um, messaging you. I'd say the same about my dad, but he, A, he passed away two years ago. But B, he was moaning after the treble win. He was one of these fans who was never, ever happy. He would have been slaughtering everybody last night because that's just what he did. And I see some people just putting the frustration of their whole life and loading it onto a football club. Yeah, my dad was moaning in Barcelona the day after the treble. I'm like, just won the treble. Yeah, but we didn't turn up some, we were crap. But we've just won the treble. I don't care, Bayern Munich outplayed us. Yeah, but we've just won the treble. I don't care, son. That was a disgrace of a performance. No, you're just going round in, in circles there, so... I'm glad that, you know, Laurie's dad texting stats. That's fantastic. And your dad's singing on, on the Metrolink. This is this is the Ronaldo effect, isn't it? Let's, let's hope that it carries on. Let's hope it carries on indeed. What a brilliant way to finish it. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Laurie, you as well. I've just got enough time to tell you that if you don't already subscribe to The Athletic, please do so. You can still get a 33% discount as well by going to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. I need to apologise as well. I was supposed to work in questions from the real-time section of the Athletic app as well. I was just looking through them a moment ago. I think we answered most of the questions that, that had been sent through. So Rishi, KD, Mark and, and Blah as well. I'm so sorry that we didn't get to your questions, but I hope they were answered in the conversation that we had during that. Keep an eye out always for Carl and Laurie posting an opportunity for you to ask questions. Thank you for listening as well, guys. Let's see what Everton brings. See you Monday. The Athletic. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.